0: This is the Field Goals Podcast, I'm Brandon Schultz and today to preview the matchup against the Steelers in week two of the regular season, I have Dave Schofield with behind the steel curtain, and I get to, the nice thing about this, Dave, is I get to poke a little fun at you just to, because I'm still sore over the Super Bowl 40 loss, and so I get to ask you questions that like, you know, what happened on Sunday against the Patriots losing 30-3? to three?
1: Oh, it was even worse than that. It was 33-3. to three. Oh, it, was. it was, <laughs> I yeah, was. I was three points was off. It was that terrible 30 point defeat.
0: <laughs> yeah, you never want to go above twenty, because then it's just embarrassing.
1: Oh yes. <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> but, well, uh, So yeah. what did
0: you what did you see in this game against the Patriots? Because I feel like there were so many of us, and with it being a Sunday night game, you know, people around the NFL, it was a matchup that I think everybody was looking forward to. It kind of feels like a rivalry between these two teams with how much they face each other in the playoffs. And I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, it's going to be close because new England, they usually start out slow and a lot of expectations about the Steelers going into 2019. And then for it to be so lopsided, it, uh, I think it took everybody around the NFL a little bit off guard
1: absolutely but it goes to show how much the nfl game really comes down to the very smallest thing just the little tiniest tiniest thing one small blown assignment one person not quite getting the job done It's, it's a game of inches and those inches when they don't stack up in your way can make for a very lopsided game so how
0: much do you read into that game as a fan and what do you expect going forward in 2019? Are you are you thinking this is a preview of something to come, or is it just you kind of think, oh, it's just one week, they'll be able to bounce back and be fine?
1: Well, your hope is that you can just burn the tape and move on and bounce back and be fine. But at the same time, that's always in the back of your mind, because you can't get to the big game without going through New England. It's just how it is as being a part of the AFC. Even if the Steelers would have won the game, chances are they would have to go to Foxborough in the playoffs because New England's division is just has no competition for them. Their schedule even as the number 1 team out of their division last year they don't face a playoff team from 2019 until the second half of their season so it's very easy for them to win you know seven out of eight if not all of them the first part of the season with the Steelers actually being their biggest test and the way Pittsburgh has been completely owned by New England especially in Foxborough I know last year I was at the game in Pittsburgh when they finally you know got over the hump and and beat New England But that was at home. That was late in the season. And there's kind of the narrative that New England starts slow, but they don't start slow in week one. Tom Brady is 9-1 and at home in week one. So it's they they, they kind of that first quarter sometimes they don't figure everything out, but they can generally in week one because you have that extra time to get ready for that opponent, New England, as you can see in the Super Bowl, you give them extra time and they're going to be ready. So how concerned are
0: you particularly about the defense now going into week two? Because, you know, you allow 33 points. It feels like there's a lot of young pieces on the defense, but you, you have some vets too. So I imagine you look at the offense and you say, well, you have Big Ben there and you have Connor and, and things are going to be fine. But how
1: about the defense? I'll be honest with you. I was actually more excited about the defense coming into the season than I was with the offense. They got younger. They got faster. They they finished well last year. I mean, they held New England at 10 points at home last year in week 15, which was the last loss the Patriots ha- have had other than the preseason. And the defense was supposedly improved. You had uh, Mark Barron brought in as a free agent, as a faster linebacker. You had Devin Bush, which was an upgrade at the position. Uh, Steven Nelson was brought in as a, as, as a free agent who you didn't hear his name the entire night, Sunday night, but that's a good thing when you're talking about a corner, that, that you're not really noticing their play. That means they're doing their job. All these things, they were fairly healthy. The Steelers had one starter missing in Sean Davis, and therefore the, the starter in his place was someone from, from the AAF that actually made the team for the Steelers and ended up starting, uh, uh, Cameron Kelly. There was a lot of things to be excited about. But then the Steelers came out to do the things that they did last year in week 15. And what do you know? The Patriots were ready for it. Um, it it's one of those it's things weird. of, yeah, <laughs> what, what, they, they actually game plan for this. What do you know? Oh, they, they had a plan for TJ Watt. They weren't ever going to leave him one-on-one. He, he had, I think he had a one-on-one matchup maybe two times the entire night. And then the other guys that would want to step up, weren't able to do it. What, one of the Steelers' top defenders when it comes to, to uh, pass rush is their nose tackle and Javon Hargrave. But anymore in, in a 3-4 defense, how much is your nose tackle actually out there anymore with so much sub-package football? And they, they did an awful lot to get him off the field and not have to go up against those three defensive linemen because when they did, that was the lone highlight they had on Sunday night was uh, Javon Hargrave just blowing up the center and being right in Brady's face.
0: Well, I think as a Seahawks fan, that's probably one of my biggest concerns because it was that interior of the Bengals defensive line that the Seahawks struggled with so much. And, you know, there are a lot of times where it just plays were blown up right away because Geno Atkins was coming right up the middle. And so that that does have me a little bit concerned about the Steelers defense going into week two.
1: Yeah, I mean, the that's what I feel is is the strength of the defense is is the that front five, um, not as much both outside linebackers. Bud Dupree was a number one pick, but he just really hasn't lived up to that status. But uh, T.J. Watt is someone that that's ready to take the NFL by storm. Um, actually, was was ahead of J.J. When, in sacks last year um, through most of the season and had a really fantastic Pro Bowl season last year. But it's just. It's all got to come together, and as much as some people think that the Patriots start slow, the Steelers start even slower. How
0: have you liked what you've seen out of Devin Bush, the rookie linebacker, so far? Because I, I, I thought kind of over the off season, it sounded like there was a lot of expectation around him being able to step up and be, you know, a, a star among those Steelers defenders.
1: Uh, he's exciting to watch. He he led the Steelers in tackles this past week, uh, although he was not named a starter. Who, who really cares who the starter is. Sure. I, I tried to, to, to bring that up for a long time, that people are like, is Bush going to start week one? I'm like, it doesn't matter who starts. It's who plays. And even though he wasn't deemed the starter, he had the most snaps of any of the inside linebackers. So he's playing a lot of sub-package football. He's... That's It's a tough challenge to go out and have to play New England. New England, their scheme, their execution, even in week one, especially with that extra time, my goodness, they are really hard to defend. And you're asking a, a rookie to come in and his very first game go up against that. I still thought he, he did fairly well. There were some times where, um, where, where when they ran a lot of, of their rub routes that he was caught up in some things in there. But overall, I, I thought... He, he did not play like a rookie. If you remember that he's a rookie and that he needs a little bit of time to grow, if he's going to grow from where he started, then he's going to be a, a superstar in the NFL.
0: So you have that week one challenge of facing Tom Brady and the Patriots. And now I, I feel like it doesn't get a ton easier by facing off against Russell Wilson at quarterback because these are two very different style of quarterbacks. It's not like you have Tom Brady one week and then Drew Brees the next.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing that, uh, it's interesting because when it came to the, the quarterback battle, or maybe I should say the backup quarterback battle for the Steelers in this past offseason, it was down to, uh, Mason Rudolph, the second year player and Josh Dobbs in his third year out of Tennessee. And then they also had the FCS passing leader in, uh, in Devlin Hodges as, as the fourth guy in camp. And a lot of people really wanted to see Hodges overtake Dobbs, and uh, it looked like Rudolph was going to move ahead of him, which he did. But a lot of people liked having Dobbs around as that quarterback to kind of run the scout offense when they go up against a Russell Wilson. But then, of course, what th- what happens with the Steelers on Monday is they traded Josh Dobbs to the oh, right. Jacksonville Jaguars. who After they lost Nick Foles. Yeah, after Jobs, Dobbs was traded to to Jacksonville, they didn't have that quarterback to kind of emulate Russell Wilson in practice. So I'm not sure how they're going to handle that. Um, and, but really, a lot of these quarterbacks are so, so unique. Russell Wilson is his own – I mean, he's really his own guy. You can try to compare him to other people, but really the better way is to compare other people to Russell Wilson. So the Steelers have their work cut out for them, but – They've got to come up with that plan, and that's one thing that, uh, that Steelers fans don't have a lot of confidence in right now because they didn't really come up with that great of a plan to go in against Tom Brady. Yeah, and you
0: have all offseason to do it. You have that one game, that one week, get one game to plan for all offseason. And, yeah, to go in, it, it, it. I feel like it would be – disappointing. I mean, as a, I I think around the NFL though, week one football, especially with the way a lot of the NFL teams handle preseason, you get into some sloppiness, you get into some mix, miss tackles, you get into some blown coverages and there's guys I, I look at on the Steelers like Cameron Kelly, who had a really rough game against new England. But is that something that you look at and say, Oh, well he can bounce back and, and make up for that at the safety position in week two.
1: Well, I'm hoping that he doesn't have to be on the field nearly as much because I was concerned with Sean Davis being out with injury because I'm like, I, I think Cam Kelly can be a decent player in the NFL, but for him to have to play his first NFL game going against Tom Brady and being on the field for every snap, that's not something that you want going into that game. So the Sean Davis injury was was very significant from that aspect because Sean Davis played well against New England last year in Week 15. So it's just the 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 hope is that Kelly goes gets to go back to being a backup. But um, until the actual status report comes out on Friday, we really have no idea uh, what to expect.
0: What other injuries are is the team looking at? Because I think we saw Smith Schuster go out late in that game against the Patriots. Uh, Watt I think uh, came up injured at, at one point in the game. Where are the Steelers at in terms of injuries going into Week Two?
1: Uh, well, in his press conference, Mike Tomlin just kind of grouped most of those guys together. Sean Davis, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Joe Hayden was one who left and came back, and his might be the most significant injury of them all, and I know him, and, and TJ Watt, who had a, who had a hip injury, and kind of grouped them all together and says, they might miss a little bit of practice time early in the week, but don't be concerned. It's all about the progress getting up to ultimately Friday's practice in order for the status report. The only player that wasn't even mentioned during the game or even after the game that looks like they will be missing the game this, this weekend already is a uh, fullback and special teams. Captain Roosevelt Nix hmm. has a knee injury that could keep him out several weeks. Now he's the only fullback on the roster, but at the same time, the Steelers didn't, the only time he stepped foot on the field on offense this past week was with the two-minute warning of the first half when the Steelers were going for it on fourth and one. He came out on the field, and then Roethlisberger called timeout <laughs> and sent him out and came out with with all his, all his receivers split out wide. So they went like they were going to run a power play. They yeah. even brought in an extra lineman, but then they sent them out and decided to go spread instead. So that was the only time he was on the field for offense, and they never even snapped the ball.
0: In terms of improvements, at three points isn't going to cut it. You're not going to win any games just scoring three points. I don't think you can count on the Seahawks, despite having some struggles against the Bengals defense, to to, to really come out in a shutout. So, what can you look at in terms of improvements on offense, especially considering now you have you know linebacker Bobby Wagner, Jadevian Clowney uh, signed with the Seahawks. He was out there for a limited number of snaps against the Bengals, but he I do feel like he's a guy that now the Steelers are going to have to game plan
1: for. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You got a game plan for those guys. What What was frustrating with the offense? Now, first of all, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you mentioned that about the shutout. You do realize that the Seahawks have never scored a point in Heinz Field. What? Yes, they never? have come to Heinz. Never. They have come to Heinz Field twice, and both times have been shutouts. I don't believe this. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it was in two thousand eleven. They were shut out twenty four to nothing, and in two thousand seven, they were shut out twenty one to nothing. So. I don't think that's going to be a repeat this weekend. <laughs> I, I really don't see that happening, but uh, that that is something that maybe Steeler fans could take some some solace in. Okay, but, so those were
0: those were pre Russell Wilson uh, football games. Just to be clear, we've well, got to remember
1: <laughs> the, the AFC North and NFC West only match up every four years right. and only at the other person's stadium every eight. The way they do it now, so that was eight years ago the uh, the last time that the Seahawks have have, have come in, but. <sighs> It was kind of the Steelers offense needs to finish the biggest thing that got that game out of hand Sunday night was every drive with the exception of running one play with with 20 seconds left in the half every drive that the Steelers had in the second quarter was where they faced either a third and one and a fourth and one and they did not convert. And that's why their drive ended. the The first play was was one with it was a rush of James Conner, and he came up about three inches short. Um, another one they tried to run an outside toss that the the that the Patriots knew was coming, and they threw him for a four yard loss. the The fourth down play was one of the many drops by Dante Moncrief, who had a very extremely disappointing um, debut for the Steelers on Sunday night. So I I don't look for the Steelers to go. Owen oh, I think they were on the game it was oh and 4 on and one situations mm-hmm. which just kills drives. I mean even if they just get field goals on those three drives of the second quarter you're talking about a 20 to 9 game at halftime with the Steelers getting the ball coming out. And then on a the fourth and one they might not be settling for a field goal cuz they have to get points of some kind that they want to then you know actually actually try to punch it in the end zone. So those those kind of things although they 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 absolutely got shellacked by the patriots there was these little things that just showed that they were so close it was and it wasn't just the the execution of the players it was also the execution of having a good game plan both on offense and defense
0: all right Dave you brought up the the issues that the Steelers had with uh, short yarded situations I want to dig more into that a little bit and we'll hit on that coming up right after the break Dave Schofield of Behind the Steel Curtain, one of the Pittsburgh Steelers SB Nation podcasts. And we're talking about the matchup with the Seahawks and the Steelers coming up in week two. And before the break, you touched on the, the fact that the Steelers struggled in short yardage situations. And that was one of the strengths I felt like for the Seahawks against the Bengals is that, well, really, the Bengals didn't even try to run a whole lot. But when they did, they were shut down quickly. And the Seattle isn't shy about how they want to stop the run. It's it's part of the reason why the Bengals barely attempted it just to, by the way they lined up. So how do you think the Steelers are going to try and attack the, the Seahawks defense?
1: Well, it's how do I think they're going to attack it versus how they should. Um, the problem is the Steelers run almost primarily out of shotgun anymore. They run better out of shotgun. Everything they do is out of shotgun. That's why they, they rarely use a fullback anymore in power situations. And sometimes it's frustrating because they get stuck on something that they think is going to work, and they'll continually do it over and over again. They they had this counter toss that they ran against the Patriots last season that worked so well because the Patriots weren't expecting much from Jalen Samuels because Jay James Conner was injured during the game, but they tried to run it this game. And of course the Patriots were ready for it. And yet they still continued to, to try to do this, which, which made me wonder what were they game planning for? What were they thinking? They to think that the exact same stuff was going to work again. So I actually am pretty happy that the Steelers are going against a non common opponent that they can just come out and not get so stuck on what worked before or anything else to just come out and stick to it because the Steelers have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to just run the ball and pass protect. And they had no problem with the pass protection for the most part, uh, Sunday night, but running the ball, it's just the, it it just wasn't working for them. So, the Steelers did that a lot last year too. They would—I mean, James Conner had a great year, but there were games where he only had a handful of carries for, for you know, a couple dozen yards, and that was it. So it kind of—it it really depends on the game plan, because if Ben Roethlisberger had his way, he would be chucking the ball in the air every single play.
0: And who is he throwing to? Because I know Juju Smith-Schuster. He's kind of the the guy now that Antonio Brown's gone, uh, and you got James Conner as the running back. Who are some of those other weapons on offense that you're looking at this season?
1: Well, one of the most disappointing things that uh, I touched on in an article on our site was how long it took the Steelers to get tight end Vance McDonald into the game plan. It was inside of the two of two, the two-minute warning of the second half was the first time he was targeted the entire night. Now he ended up with two catches on on four targets for I think forty-one yards, but it was all inside of two minutes of the game when the score was already thirty-three to three. Uh, there's a good chance he could be the second most productive receiver for the Steelers this year. He just was not targeted and used in the game effectively. I don't know if they just completely shut him down. I know Patrick Chung was pretty much on him the whole game. So it, it just could have been that he wasn't there. They were also reluctant to have James Washington on the field early in the game. That even happened in the preseason when Ben Roethlisberger actually played, that James Washington was not was only on the field, I think, for two plays with Ben Roethlisberger, but he had such a productive preseason. Otherwise, there's just, I don't know if there's something going on with, with uh, Ben being comfortable with him. But he's the guy that really should be, when it comes to wide receiver, should really be that number two. Deontay Johnson has a lot of promise. He was the Steelers' second draft pick. It was in the third round because they traded away their second round pick uh, to move up to get Devin Bush. He shows a lot of promise and has a lot of the same attributes as Antonio Brown did coming out of college. Not saying he'll be an Antonio Brown, but he's a very similar style receiver. But it was apparent Sunday night that Dante Moncrief, is not the answer until he shows that he can be. And what's ridiculous is he had three catches for seven yards, but they kept thrumming in the ball. He was targeted ten times. Wow. So so I mean, yeah, he he had he had a 0. 0.7 yards per target <laughs> average. So that's not going to cut good. it in the NFL. <laughs> no, that's not good. So you ask the question of who the receiver's going to be, I gave you a bunch of names and the real answer is who knows? Those are just <laughs> the possibilities. That's what the Steelers ultimately have to figure out if they're going to have a successful season.
0: Well, I've held out this long, Dave, on asking a question about Antonio Brown, and and I, I just can't hold off any longer because what is going on with the Steelers and Patriots? Because it's not just Antonio Brown. This is the second time a former player who has quit on the Steelers has ended up with the Patriots, going back to LeGarrette Blunt. And that has to be incredibly frustrating to see both these guys now end up kind of getting their way, getting off the Steelers
1: and ending up on the Patriots. Unfortunately, it's the third time because oh, because James Harrison did the same thing yes. when he wasn't in in uh in TJ Watts rookie year. That's he right. Just kind of started sleeping in meetings and just kind of doing the same kind of route of, I'm going to be too much of a nuisance for you to keep me around. And that's what all three guys did. They just decided they were going to be a nuisance. So they would be cut loose. Antonio Brown, the Patriots offered their first round pick for Brown. Right. To, to, to In the off season. See, as a you trade, should have known Taylor.
0: better. You should have, you should have taken it when you had the chance. <laughs>
1: Well, the better pick. Because they're going to get him the, one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, the the better pick was Buffalo offered their first round pick. Right. And, and, and Brown said, nope, I'm not having that. I'm wondering. A lot of people feel that New England was the goal the whole time. He didn't want to go to another AFC East team because they would be less likely to get rid of him. I mean, when he hires social media consultants to help him get off the team. Yeah you know that there's a problem. I mean, he was instructed to put that notice that he got about his fine on Instagram. That's
0: what that, I mean. That it, wasn't, it had to that wasn't been his ca- own
1: idea. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it was all orchestrated. It was all orchestrated. His video of being free, the door was open. Who sits there with your door open like that when you're in California um, it was also he could run outside. Everything he's done has been staged and orchestrated, and and he got exactly what he wants. And it's a shame that the NFL can't really do anything about it or refuses to do anything about it. And what's the bigger shame is that that team up north is just continually allowed to do these kind of things where, where – it seems like it was this was set up for a very long time.
0: It, it feels that way, and it, it bothers me uh, quite a bit that it feels that way, but uh, Antonio Brown uh, gets what he wants. It makes me wonder if the whole helmet situation was just another thing for show as well.
1: Oh, absolutely, and the whole foot situation. I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't... I don't didn't... know,
0: the foot thing, I, I think I'll give him that one. I think he screwed up probably on that yeah. one. I didn't want to mess up his feet. <laughs>
1: Exactly. But at the same time, I mean, I'm not even sure if the pictures of that were actually current pictures that that could could have been, you know, one of these things that he's putting that out there of trying to, you know, do everything that he can to (laughs) frustrate the team because they know that they they're not going to they're not going to put up with it. Everyone said that the reports were all Rudin Mayock will not put up with this stuff. Well, if he knew that, he knew that they're not going to put up with it. They're just going to eventually cut ties with me, and I'll get what I want. The problem is he can't handle not being the highest-paid wide receiver in the league. He can't handle it. He was the highest-paid wide receiver when he signed a five-year deal with the Steelers. But once somebody else passed him, he wanted that new deal. It didn't matter that he signed up for five years, so he wanted out. He got to Oakland. He wanted to be the highest paid guy, so they didn't have to, but they reworked his deal. Then all of a sudden, he's not the highest paid guy anymore, and he can't handle it. The only way he was okay not being the highest paid guy is if he was a New England Patriot.
0: And now he's there. So uh, moving on from that and and back to the Seahawks and Steelers, how important now is it that the Steelers don't go to 0-2, particularly with it being your home opener?
1: Oh my, I mean, this, this, you don't want to say there's a must win game in week two, but uh, the well, last especially time the when Diller- you look around
0: the division and it's really just the Ravens that got the win. So you, you're, you are kind of fortunate that most of the other teams in the division lost in week one.
1: Oh, absolutely. So that, that's, that's a very good sign. But the, the biggest problem is I wasn't into the whole Browns hype. I had a feeling that it could be the Ravens. I also think some people are going to be able to figure out the Ravens, but not that uh, team that seems to be letting everything go away down in Miami. That's not a team that's going to come out and be able to. That's true. To, to, to stop that at all. That's that's, and what's ridiculous is when the Steelers play the Dolphins. That's the. Prime kind of game that they lose, you know. This team that they should come out and completely trounce. Those are the games that Steelers fans worry the most about. Yeah. Now, Seattle, this is a formidable opponent, but there are some things that that the Steelers can think of that are encouraging. Every time they've they've lost on the road under Mike Tomlin to start the season, they've come back to Heinz Field and won and won handily. Mm. So they're they're three and one in those situations under Mike Tomlin with uh, with with the average score being, um, I'm pretty sure it's it's somewhere right around 31-9 uh, uh, to 9 is the averages in those three games, uh, one of which was against San Francisco four years ago after they lost to New England in the opener. They came back and, and took it to San Francisco uh, pretty good at home. But that's just kind of what Steeler fans are hopeful about, but they're also very reserved about. and And you can tell that across the board that they're like yeah we've done that in years past but this this is supposed to be a different team this year it was supposed to be a good feel because it was a better locker room more camaraderie faster on defense all these other things but if you're not the same team that means the other things that you took for granted like playing well in prime time uh bouncing back and playing well at home you can't take those for granted either
0: well, Dave, I uh, really appreciate you coming on and talking about the upcoming game. Any prediction that you have now going into Sunday's matchup?
1: Well, I, I predict that some of the trends that that have come across won't all hold true. For example, Seattle has never scored a point at Heinz Field. <laughs> I don't think that's going to hold true. Um, the NFC West has never won a game at Heinz Field with Mike Tomlin as the coach.
0: The entire NFC West.
1: Yes. Now, granted, you only get those matchups every four years, but within those matchups, they are they are zero and six. Wow. And yes, and and now these these week two week two at home under Mike Tomlin has been very good for the Steelers. The only time they've lost in a home game at week two from an away game, uh, they are six and one with the one loss being. Last year against Kansas City, which was a five-point loss that they had at home. Um, but but other than that, they generally come home and, and play well. And not only that, they have a pretty good margin of victory in there as well.
0: Well, we will be looking forward to watching the game this Sunday, a 10 o'clock Pacific start on Sunday, which uh, in the past Seahawks fans have worried about. But uh, Pete Carroll seems to have gotten that under control as the Seahawks have, have done pretty well in those early starts on the East coast. So uh, looking forward to that, Dave. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, maybe, uh, you know, let you know how things are going during the game. Well, what's the best place to catch you?
1: The best place to follow is the behind the skill steel curtain Twitter feed, which is BT steel curtain. There's a lot of good uh, live updates there or just check out anything on the behind the Steel curtain website we have a, we have a, some great game threads going on um, and live chats i know a lot of times you don't look for opposing fans to come in there but honestly opposing fans are welcome we we'd like to we'd like informed football fans you know, and, and when people come in and are respectful, every once in a while you're gonna get knuckleheads, even as Steeler fans. Of course, we have to deal with them as well. But you get that with any fan base. But that's that's the best way to keep up with us. We actually do we we run daily podcasts through behind the steel curtain. We have our own YouTube channel, BTSC Steelers Radio, that you can go to to on YouTube and subscribe there and you can get the notifications every time because we go live with our shows, we have, like I said, we have seven podcasts, so we stretch them out over to where it's it's one a day.
0: Check that out. Behind the steel curtain, I am on the Wednesday night episode, so uh, people need to go over and check that out as well.
1: Uh, yes,
0: Dave. Thanks again for coming on, and uh, we will we'll see how things turn out on Sunday.
1: Yeah, it should be a really good one. I mean these are these are two good franchises i got a lot of respect for for Seattle and their fan base. Really glad we're not having to go there to play. That's the biggest thing I have to say.
0: A big thanks once again to Dave Schofield with Behind the Steel Curtain for coming on. Be sure to check out the Behind the Steel Curtain podcast. I made an appearance there Wednesday night, so that should be the latest episode over on their feed. And while you're bouncing around the SB Nation websites, be sure to check out fieldgoals.com as Mookie Alexander focuses on the slow start in Week 1 and how it's really nothing new for the Seahawks. Also check out John Fraley's article, because if you're wondering why on 3rd and 15, the Seahawks are constantly giving up and either running the ball or throwing a short pass, John Fraley breaks it down into exactly why that is for the Seahawks. And finally, John Gilbert looks at the Seahawks offensive line after week one you know we had some high expectations coming into this season so he looks at the football outsiders rankings some of the nfl.com stats pass blocking efficiency as well as the pro football focus grades so check that all out at fieldgoals.com and if you want to help support this show as well as the Seahawkers podcast you can go to getintheflock.com You can look for the next show with Adam and I on Friday this week. We haven't recorded it yet, but that's when we're looking to post it, so check it out there, seahawkerspodcast.com. And we'll have more shows here as well through fieldgoals.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Click on the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show, and that way you keep getting the shows as soon as they come out.